first reading is taken from James chapter 5, verses 13 to 20, which is in the Church Bibles at page 1216. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Our Gospel reading can be found on page 1013 of the Bible and is taken from Mark chapter 9, started to read at verse 38. Teacher, said John, We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say something bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung round their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the Gospel of the Lord. As the uh, multi-talented Luke leaves his guitar to come and speak to us, I'm going to pray for him. 
Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Amanda and Alison, for your reading. Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you and be here with you. Have you ever unwittingly stepped into someone else's territory? <laughs> happens sometimes, doesn't it, by accident. You know, someone might say, Sue, I'm awfully sorry. I know you wanted to bake a lemon drizzle cake for the church bake sale, but you know, Mr. Jones has done that every year since 1968, so probably better if you don't. Or, David, what were you doing phoning that client at work? Your team's not supposed to do that. Or, Darren, I know you really like dancing on the table at the Christmas party, <laughs> but that's actually my party trick. <laughs> Stop muscling in on my territory. Someone's unwittingly stepped into the disciples' territory in today's reading. John says, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. How do you think that went? John marches up and goes, excuse me, um, don't worry about the driving out demons. Jesus has appointed 12 of us, you see. We're, we're going to do that bit. So don't worry yourself. We'll, we'll sort that out. You can just go off and do something else. And then John trots back to Jesus, ready to get a pat on the back for doing such a good job of protecting their little inner circle. And Jesus doesn't give him a pat on the back. He says, what are you doing? doesn't seem that unreasonable, does it? The disciples have been following Jesus for quite a while, maybe years, as disciples of a rabbi. So they're in his inner circle. They get to hear his inner thoughts. They see the innermost things that he does that no one else gets to see. So surely this new kid on the block can't just waltz up, start driving out demons with none of the, the backstory, none of the training, none of the listening to Jesus, none of the being around him. Surely he can't just skip out the hard yards and start driving out demons. But Jesus says he can. He says, do not stop him. <laughs> so John, he's ready to get a pat on the back. He thinks, I've done a good thing. And Jesus says, no, you haven't. Don't stop him. You see, people often look at the fact, I've heard it said a number of times, I don't know if you've heard any talks like this, that Jesus took on lowly, uneducated disciples. They wouldn't have been the typical go-to disciples for a rabbi of the day if the rabbis were vying for the best disciples. They wouldn't have been after the ones that Jesus picked. And people say, that's proof that God can use anyone. You don't need special skills. You don't need special training. And that's true. But then apparently, even these lowly, uneducated, unworthy disciples can develop a superiority complex and then say, no, it's all about us. These people that aren't part of us, no, they can't do that. And here Jesus reaffirms what I think is one of the key themes that you see in Mark's Gospel. He says, what matters most is a willingness to be with Jesus, to be identified with him. And in this context, the evidence of that is not being able to speak badly about Jesus in a culture where people are unsure of him. Or maybe even just giving a cup of water where that might be an unwelcome or unusual act if Jesus' followers were not part of the status quo. If you can do that, then you're qualified to minister 
in Jesus' name and worthy of reward. But it's easy to feel threatened, isn't it, by the achievements of others? If we're honest, it's happened to all of us at least once in our life, probably more. Especially if what others are doing cuts across our place in the church or our special ministry with God. But as followers of Jesus, we need to rejoice in and we need to accept and acknowledge the achievements of others when they're done in Jesus' name. If we look back in Mark 9, in verse 18, you'll see that disciples tried and were unable to drive out a demon. In verse 34, then they're arguing about who's the greatest. So as we come into today's reading and John's actions of telling someone else to stop, maybe he's a little bit stung by the fact that this outsider's driving out demons, and actually they couldn't do it. Only a few verses ago, they had a go, and they couldn't do it. And they failed to learn the lesson that Jesus was teaching them that we heard about last week, if you were here, that the first shall be last and servant of all. So stop trying to be better than everyone else. Although, unfortunately, in today's context, everything is always complicated, isn't it? And it wouldn't be right to say this without adding, we need discernment, don't we? In today's world, we see people who claim to do things in Jesus' name, and we shouldn't just accept that as a carte blanche to get on with it if it's done in Jesus' name. Unfortunately, there are people who are perfectly able to claim to do miracles in Jesus' name. But the key from today's reading is Jesus says, no one can truly do a miracle in my name and then speak badly about me afterwards. But we do see people who claim to do miracles in Jesus' name but are perfectly capable of speaking badly or misleadingly about Jesus afterwards or acting in a way that isn't compatible with the teachings of Jesus. So we need to be accepting but we also need to be discerning and wise. And then the rest of today's reading, nice easy one, isn't it? Millstones, undying worms, unquenchable fire of hell. <laughs> How lovely to talk about. I don't have much experience of millstones, immortal worms or unquenchable fire. The closest I've got recently is... Uh, Superworm. <laughs> it's a children's book that Abby likes. I can see. Liz has got it, I can see. <laughs> Her face is lighting up. And it's probably not just me who's experienced this with children. They have like a library of books, but they just want the same one over and over again for a month or a few weeks. So I could give you Superworm by heart now, but I'm not going to. But <laughs> Superworm, I'm not sure if he's immortal or the undying worm, but he's super long and he's super strong. <laughs> and he helps out all the animals, whether that's sorting out the bees who are bored and don't know what to do, or rescuing a baby toad from being squashed by a motorbike. He can always find a way to apply himself to the needs of the day and the needs of others. So maybe we need to have if there's a take-home, if you don't want to worry about the millstones and the undying worms, be more superworm this week. <laughs> Use your skills to help others. But, in seriousness, there's two elements, I think, to the reading, the next part of the reading, where we, the millstones, the undying worms, the unquenchable fire. <laughs> 
It's talking about stumbling, stumbling ourselves and causing others to stumble. Now, the Greek word that they use here for stumble has evolved in modern English to the word scandal. So to stumble is to scandalize or to bring into disrepute or unseemly behavior. In other words, we might call it sin. Now, I've always thought drowning must be a horrible death. Has anyone, anyone here watching the BBC vigil? Ends tonight, doesn't it? It's a bit of a cliffhanger at the minute. Because anyone who saw last week's, if you didn't see last week, sorry, spoiler alert, but the, the main character ends up in the submarine, uh, the missile tube of a submarine, and it starts filling with water, and she's trapped. And even though it's fiction, we were squirming at home on the sofa, because it's such a horrible thought to be trapped in a confined space, filling up with water, and inevitably to be drowned, although I have my suspicions that tonight someone will sweep in and, and save her. But who knows? We'll find out at 9 o'clock. Yeah, maybe it's super... That would be a twist, wouldn't it? <laughs> Superworm drops in to HMS Vigil. Out we go. <laughs> but drowning is an inevitable consequence of having a millstone tied around your neck and being thrown into the sea. A millstone is a big stone used to grind up grain into flour. So it's pretty big and it's pretty heavy. And it's going to drown you if you get it round your neck and go into the sea. So what could be worse? Yeah, I think we've all agreed when looking at your faces. Drowning's not a good way to go. But what's worse than drowning? Because that's what Jesus says. It's better to have a millstone tied round your neck and be thrown into the sea, so to drown, than to cause these little ones to stumble. Who are the little ones that Jesus is talking about? Could it be literally little children, which we had just before this in the reading last week, for those of you here, let the little children come to me, or whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name is welcoming me. Or is it little ones, those young in faith, like the one driving out the demon, who wasn't really part of Jesus' circle, maybe just heard a little bit and thought he'd have a go. I'm not sure, to be honest, but I don't know if it really matters, because I think if we look at the teachings of Jesus as a whole, we see he has great care and a great desire for his followers to care for the little and vulnerable in any form, whether that's children, whether that's those small in faith, whether that's those small in any way. Because the, word, the Greek word from the text, the little one, it, can, it just means one smaller. And I think Jesus shows great care and wants us to show great care for those that might be smaller in any way, whether that's in age, in stature, in status, or anything else. We need to take care of those who are little or small, however that may be. And then likewise, apparently it's better to cut off a hand or a foot, or gouge out an eye than end up in hell. Does anyone know what the flagellants are? I learned about them in history. Maybe you did, or you've seen them in something else. They're the people that used to go around. Their way of expressing their faith was to whip themselves bloody, and they thought that would save them from the plague or the Black Death. If they punished themselves, then they might be saved. And when I was sitting at school learning about that, I was shocked because that's such a different expression and representation of faith than what I was used to 
here at church. I wouldn't have been so keen to turn up as a child if I had to whip myself raw <laughs> as punishment. But it seems at first glance that that's what Jesus is suggesting today. Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Gouge out your eye. If you need to do it, it's worth paying the price. But of course, it can't be literal. I mean, most simply, it just wouldn't work, would it? Because we don't have one evil hand that fights against the good hand, the evil hand trying to go and sin and the good hand saying no, and the evil foot's trying to take us to sin and the good foot saying don't go there. Because if we chop off one hand, we've just got another one. <laughs> We're all humans, aren't we? We're all capable of sinning. You chop off one hand, it's not going to stop the other hand from sinning. You chop off one foot, it's not going to stop the other foot from sinning. You gouge out one eye, it's not going to stop the other eye. It can't be literal. Otherwise, you'd have to chop off both hands, both feet, gouge out both eyes, and then we'll find another way to sin, and we'll just end up as a pile of body parts. <laughs> but what I think this does show is Jesus' serious view of sin. It's not something that doesn't matter. It's not something that we just ask for forgiveness for and then move on. It matters greatly. Because if we're not careful, the way of sin lies the place that the worm never dies and the fire is unquenching. And that's a quote from Isaiah 66:24, And that describes the fate of those in the new creation who rebel against God. That's the place where the worm never dies and the fire is unquenching. It's the place of rebellion against God. Now I spend my time, some of my time each week at work, on building sites. And I was talking to someone this week about an accident that had happened on one of the sites where someone had a bit of a coming together between a handheld power saw and their leg. It's just never a good, never a good way to end your working day. And the colleague who was describing this story said to me, the explanation when someone has an accident always starts with, I was just. No one ever says, I was doing my normal work in the normal way, and then this happened. It's always, I was just doing that. I was just going to do it. It's never, I was doing the normal thing, and then it all went wrong. It was always, oh, I was just doing that, and then it all went wrong. And I was listening to something from Tom Wright, the New Testament scholar and former Bishop of Durham the other day. He was talking about a similar experience in a different context of pastoring clergy who'd got in as his role of bishop. He would have to deal with the clergy who got into a bit of trouble one way or another. And he said so often when he was talking to them and they were describing their experiences, it started as something small and then it just grew. And then before they knew it, they were in a lot of bother. And I think that's why Jesus takes this stance so serious against sin. He says it's better to go through the metaphorical pain of chopping off an arm, a hand, or a foot, or gouging out an eye, before it grows into the thing that's going to take you to full rebellion against God, the place where the worm never dies and the fire is unquenched. And I think there's a subtle link here as well to the earlier verses. Because the word that's translated as hell is Gehenna, which is actually a physical place outside of Jerusalem where they took all the rubbish to burn it. But more significantly, Gehenna was also known in previous times as the Valley of Hinnon. 
And that's where the Israelites at one time took to sacrificing their children. You can look that up in Jeremiah 7.31. So the place of rebellion where the worm never dies and the fire is unquenched is also the place where the little ones are put to death by those who should be protecting and caring for them. It's maybe another reminder that if we don't take that hard stance against sin, it can slowly and subtly lead us to depths that we would never imagine ourselves sinking to. Jesus ends by commending his listeners. He says, have salt amongst yourselves and be at peace with each other. Salt is good unless it loses its saltiness. But what does that mean? Perhaps we're to be set apart or distinctive, useful, or have the flavour of God about us. Because that's something that when it's missing, it's critical. The approach Jesus suggests to dealing with sin is so severe because sin takes away that saltiness, that distinctiveness, that flavour of God, that individuality that is key to living the lives that God's called us to. And we need to be at peace with each other, not to let power struggles or issues of status or influence cause those that are smaller than us to stumble. Because as the church and as experienced members in the church, the world will learn from us. And the small little ones, whether that be our children in the church or those that come to us young in faith, will learn from us. Children, if there's one thing I've learned more than anything else in the almost two years of being a parent, it's that children are like sponges. They pick up everything. Even the things you don't expect them to see and hear and know, they pick it up. And I think all people are like that to an extent, especially children, but all people. They pick things up from us. And as the church, we need to live by example, to have that saltiness about us, to be at peace with each other so that our children and our seekers and our new in faith people and the people that have been here for years and the people that we encounter in the community and in work and in life who don't know of Jesus, that what they take from us as they soak up our presence as a sponge (laughs) is a bit of that saltiness and that peaceful living that might encourage them to wonder who is this Jesus. Perhaps as the person right at the start wondered and started to have a go and drive out demons. We don't know how he heard of Jesus. We don't know what interactions he's had with Jesus, but he obviously wasn't well known to the disciples, but he'd picked something up and thought he'd have a go. Let's try and be people who the world picks something up from us and thinks, let's have a go at that.